<laughs> Good morning, church family. Um, there, there's been a lot of stuff to share this morning, um, but the, the message today is going to be very to the point. It's kind of a follow-up uh, of last week's where we can see how to follow through on sharing our testimony and the gospel with others. So while the kids are finding the bingo pictures here, um, we're going to do a quick reminder of what happened last week. Smart, Ben. Smart. Get up close so you can see the pictures. You can also see them better if you turn around and look at those screens back yeah, there. Okay. So he's, he's got it down. All right. So, um, so Paul was standing before a guy by the name of Portius Festus. Uh, he was standing before King Herod Agrippa and King Herod's wife, Bernice. And he was on trial uh, for basically being a rabble-rouser, which we know he was not. Um, and Paul defended himself in verses 2 through 23. That's what we looked at last week, or at least the last two weeks, explaining why he shouldn't be on trial to begin with, and, and then telling his own personal story from where he used to be to where he was after God got a hold of him. And then it culminated in the gospel message. And that message is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one who died on the cross and rose from the dead. And proclaiming that God's command to everyone is to turn from their sin and repent, turn from wickedness to faith. That's God's command. Start doing good. So, so Paul, Paul shared all of this, and he did it with respect and with grace to boot, which is kind of hard to do, right, sometimes. And so we looked at Paul's example. We looked at how his testimony is a great template for sharing our own story and, and whenever we're sharing the message of Christ with others. And if you weren't here last week, um, I highly recommend you go back, um, listen to the message online, get a feel for how to share your own story and how to share the good news uh, with Jesus as part of your story. So anyway, um, most of us who have shared Jesus before have probably experienced that very few people are immediately ready to receive the truth when they hear the message of Christ. There's probably a few times that, that it does happen, but the vast majority of times, you don't get people, their eyes just light up, and they're like, that's what I've been waiting to hear all day. It's not usually how that works. And so uh, people often respond with sincere questions at best, which is good. Love the sincere questions. But sometimes they'll respond with skepticism. You know, Sometimes even cynicism that's hostile at worst. Um, but again, when speaking to non-believers, I think probably the most common response, which can indicate openness to the discussion, is skepticism, okay? It's not instant acceptance, but it's not flat out shutting you down either. So for you Christians, I think today's text gives us a good example of how to practice evangelism follow-through, particularly when facing skepticism. And by the way, evangelism, it means sharing the good news of forgiveness through who Jesus is and what God did. Okay? And the follow-through just means what comes after the gospel and after your, your testimony is presented. So for the folks hearing this message, if you're a Christian, this should help you take the next steps to sharing your faith. All right? And if you're non-Christian, then my prayer is that God might use today's text to get you thinking about whether the stuff that you're hearing is true. And more than that, that he might help you understand and grab a hold of it for yourself. So let's open by asking God to do what he wants with us today. Father God, I just ask in Jesus' name that you'll make us good soil. And I do pray for each person here, Lord, that if, if anyone here is a non-believer, that they'll really give this some thought. Think about what this text is saying. Think about what the ramifications are of Christ being who he claimed to be. God, we pray. We know everyone in this, in this world, everyone, 
has got an eternal destination. And we pray, Father, that as many people as possible will hear the gospel and respond to it. God, we ask this morning that for those of us that are here, and those of us listening online, those listening later, open our hearts to receive your truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Acts 26, verse 24, it says, And as he, that's Paul, was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Yeah? I want you to just pause there for a second. When you hear someone make a statement, like Festus did, uh, with a loud voice, what do you think? You feel like maybe it's a little bit of a bluster, you know, due to maybe some discomfort or maybe a nagging hint of conviction? You know, I mean, this is total conjecture, I admit that, but it seems like that to me, okay? It seems like he, he just said this thing in a loud voice because he didn't know what else to say. Anyway, but Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. Okay, so there's a couple of cool things here that I think are instructive for Christians, and neither one of them is explicitly said, but the implications are thick, all right? So, first of all, despite Festus giving Paul kind of a, you know, a backhanded compliment about his intellect, what he said is still kind of insulting, and that he calls him crazy, right? And on top of that, he's, he's indirectly mocking the message. But notice, Paul doesn't take it personally. Paul doesn't take it personally, and we must not take it personally when someone responds with skepticism. We have to remember, guys, when sharing the Word of God, the Bible tells us that people who are unspiritual can't comprehend the things of God. Can't. Okay? So on top of that, whatever the response is to us, assuming, this is assuming that we are sharing Christ in a non-jerk-faced way, okay, it is not really us that they're responding to. It's the message. And so ultimately, it's God. Do you remember in um, the, the story of Israel asking Samuel for a king? You guys are probably familiar with that, most of y'all. He didn't want to do it, but God said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And so if it seems personal that someone shows you skepticism or rejects you or flat out abuses you, don't think it's because of you. Don't feel like you've necessarily done something wrong if you're misunderstood or if you're mistreated, okay? Because Jesus said it would happen. You've got to remember that. Jesus said, they will hate you as they hate me. And he also said that we can rejoice when we get rejected for sharing the gospel, because we're sharing in Christ's sufferings. That means we're going to share in his glory, according to Paul. So I know that's a mashup of a whole bunch of scriptures. If you want to write down some references that aren't in your bulletin, you can write these down real quick. Uh, it's Luke 6.23. Um, I'm going to go slower because I know, I know at least one person online is writing these down right now. Uh, so Tisha, this is for you. Okay? <laughs> Luke 6.23. All right? Romans 8.18. And 1 Peter 4.13, again, that's Luke 6.23, Romans 8.18, and 1 Peter 4.13, or kind of bolster this argument. So anyway, uh, don't take it personally if someone is skeptical when you share Jesus with them. Instead, be assured, like Paul, that you are speaking true and rational words. 
How can you do that? A great way is to learn some basic apologetics. And what does that mean? Apologetics is basically the art of learning how to defend your faith using sources outside of your faith which agree with it. Okay? Like, for instance, there are many scientific reasons. I, I want to repeat this part. Scientific reasons to believe that there was a worldwide flood that drastically changed the topography of the earth just like the Bible teaches. There's a vast amount of archaeological evidence to support that, that the people groups mentioned in Scripture all existed when and where the Bible says they did. And this, this stuff is readily available you know, to anyone who's willing to do a quick internet search. You can find this stuff out. So as far as, as logical reasoning for God's existence and, and for the truthfulness of the claims of Jesus, there are dozens of books that explore these ideas in depth. I'm going to give you just a few examples, okay, a few authors. C.S. Lewis wrote a magnificent book called Mere Christianity. If you have not read it, I highly recommend that you read it. It is one of the most intellectual and yet simple things that you can read to give you an understanding of the proofs of God, okay? Fantastic book. He wrote lots of great ones. That's, that's a really great one. Another guy that some have called the modern C.S. Lewis, who actually passed away this past week, rest in peace, Tim Keller, um, he wrote a book called Reason for God, which is excellent. I may even have a copy in my office if somebody wants to borrow it. Um, there's a guy named Josh McDowell that many of you might be familiar with. Josh McDowell, McDowell was an atheist who wanted to disprove the Bible, and so he began studying archaeology and, and logic and science and, and all these things, trying to, to figure out how to disprove the Bible. And by doing that, he came to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus really happened, which means everything Jesus said about himself is true. And then from that point on, he became a Christian. He ended up writing a magnificent book. I know I use that word a lot, but this really is. It's called More Than a Carpenter. It's older than I am. It's, a, it's an old book, but it's a fantastic little book. It's very small. And then he wrote two enormous volumes after that called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And it's been consistently updated, and they have an abridged version, unabridged version. I'm telling you, the print is so small. Like, I've opened these thinking, I'm going to read it. Nope, <laughs> but I will tell you it's there, okay? So if you want more evidence... There's another man by the name of Lee Strobel. Many of you are familiar with him. He wrote The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for Christmas, um, The Case for Creation. And this is a guy who, uh, is another guy who is an atheist who was setting out to disprove Christianity, came to faith by studying it. So th the point is the stuff is out there, okay? Anyway, all, all the books I just mentioned were written by someone who is either antagonistic or at least agnostic and then choose to pursue what could be known about what the Bible says to see if it's true and if it makes sense. And all of these authors were, were convicted. They were convinced by the evidence. I say that. I'm not 100% sure about Tim Keller if he was ever an atheist, but I know that he has gone through a lot of, of um, evolution, pardon the phrase, uh, as, a, uh, as a minister. He's learned a lot. So anyway... Um, I want to share something really cool with you guys about this. this uh, I found this out last week while I was studying for this sermon. This isn't one of those things that like, um, you know, that, that a point that I remember from way back when. I, I came to this this week, and so it was kind of mind-blowing. 
Um, you're familiar with 1 Peter 3.15. I've been using it a lot lately. Um, I keep referring to it as we go through the book of Acts, but, but I want to do it one more time because the original Greek is super revealing. And I just, just remember the verse, uh, in your hearts, honor Christ as holy. Remember this? Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, right? To make a defense to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. And then, of course, he goes on to say, and yet do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, I want you to understand something. This is really cool. That word defense in this passage is the Greek word apologia, from where we get our word apologetics. I found this out right after writing the part in the manuscript about apologetics. Tell me that's not the Lord. I think that's so cool. The word defense is apologia. And so in other words, a simple definition of apologetics really is defending the faith. And the second thing is the word translated reason is the same Greek word logos, which is the same one that's used for Christ in 1 John, excuse me, in John chapter 1. When it says, in the beginning was the word, the logos. And the word was with God and the word was God. That's the same word for reason that's used here. So, so like Paul, we should be ready to give a defense for our reason for the hope that we have. And who is that reason? It's Jesus Jesus is that reason. So, so let's, let's try to be conversant with why we believe what we believe. Because remember, we're not relying on blind faith. I hate it when people refer to Christianity as blind faith. It is absolutely not blind faith. I got reasons to believe the stuff I believe. Our faith is backed up in, with when true history, archaeology, logic, experience, and actual science, empirical science, backs up Christianity. If you have any questions about that point, Hit me up after the service. I got lots and lots of stuff on that. We can talk about that some other time. Anyway, let's continue. For, Paul says, the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped as noticed, for, for this has not been done in a corner. I love that phrase. In other words, this is right on the open. You know, this is common knowledge. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Well, that's gutsy, right? To just call him out like that. And from this short passage, there's at least three things that we can pick up to use in our own evangelism follow-through. We're going to go quick here. First of all, notice that Paul appeals to what is undeniable. When he says the king already knows about all the stuff he's been talking about, we should, we should be able to do the same thing. Now, to be fair, I realize this has become more difficult in just the past few years, as there are some things that have been completely obvious for thousands of years such as the fact that God made people male and female. And all of a sudden, people are challenging this stuff and calling it into question. But, but listen, it's been said that we live in a post-truth culture because things that are previously undeniable, people are starting to, to, to deny, to refuse to accept what is plainly obvious. Now, that being said, there are some things that are so obvious it's really hard to argue against them. For instance... The mathematical impossibility of factors coming together to support and sustain life on our planet. Now, let alone the fact that there's no way for life to just happen anyway. But for life to be sustained on a planet, most rational people would have to agree that the chances of it happening by accident are in, just infinitesimal. It, it couldn't happen. Statistically, it's impossible. 
Or you could point out a, a time that you'd seen an apparent miracle occur as a result of prayer. I remember praying over a kid who went to the optometrist to get his eye fixed. Once a month, they had to go in to Dallas from Texarkana and get his eye uh, treated. And when he came in, the doctor said that he didn't say it was 2020. That would have been pretty awesome. But the doctor said, you know, there's nothing wrong with your eye anymore except that you need glasses. And it, it had been he got hit in, in his eye with something. Was that a result of prayer? I absolutely think so. I think so. I think that was a miracle that God did. So anyway, these type things can't be reasonably explained away, especially if there are other witnesses to the fact. Even if a person doesn't agree that the God of the Bible is the cause of these things, there's certainly valid points that can't be safely ignored. And so even the most hardened heart, the most seared conscience, still knows deep down inside there is something beyond themselves. You know, even more specific than that, the Bible says, that of those who reject God, it says, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since, he says, the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And this last line is key. So they are without excuse. God's nature and his character, in other words, are obvious in creation. Human beings will not be able to blame a lack of evidence for God when they stand before the throne of judgment. So appeal to what is undeniably true because this puts a skeptic in the difficult position of either denying the obvious or allowing for the possibility the Bible might make more sense than they thought, right? So next, Paul shows us an example that we can be bold but not arrogant. Be bold but not arrogant. It's really important to recognize that believing you're on the right side of an argument is no excuse to be a jerk, okay? I know I say this a lot, but I want to remind everybody, that doesn't just mean in your personal interactions. That means on social media, okay? That means when you comment on someone's post for something. Don't be a jerk, this is important. Boldness and humility may seem like strange partners, but they're not, okay? Because boldness simply means being brave and being direct. That's what boldness is. Whereas humility is, is, it means understanding that the truth is not yours. The truth is God's truth. You didn't come up with it. It's God's truth, okay? The only reason you're right when you're arguing for your faith is that God is right, so you're not going to honor God as a Christian by trying to make your opponent look stupid when you dialogue. Because the, the, the point of engaging is not to win the argument. Because you already know that God's word is on the side of truth. The point is that God might use you to win the person by speaking the truth in love to them. Did you all hear that? Okay. Okay. So this brings us back to this first Peter passage. I love this first Peter passage. Whenever you make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you, how do you do it? With arrogance and mocking? No, with gentleness and respect. Being bold but not arrogant means sharing the truth of Christ with courage, yet at the same time, oozing grace. As Paul said in Galatians 4, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, in order that you may know how to answer Everyone. I'm just footnoting that today, but, but we're going to get into that one in the future. I love that verse. Anyway, but not today. Anyway, be bold, but don't be arrogant. 
Um, it's really difficult for anyone to, who's discerning anyway to listen to an arrogant person for long. So we don't want to be that. Another thing Paul is good at when he's presenting the truth, he is quick to find a way to connect with his audience. Okay? In this case, the king who is a fellow Jew. So I think it's fair then for us to use any common ground that we can find when it comes to those with whom we're sharing the gospel message. Look for things in common with people when you're sharing the good news. For instance, Acts 17, we were there like last year at some point. Paul quoted a couple of pagan poets, right? He was using, he was using their familiar words to draw his audience's attention to the truth and the gospel. Now here, he's appealing to Agrippa's knowledge of Judaism by invoking the prophets. Now, why does he do that? You know, Paul knows, and all the, the religious Jewish people of the day knew that there are multiple messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. Most specifically, uh, Isaiah has a ton of them, and Daniel, and Zechariah, but nearly every book has something in it, okay? And, and he knew, he knew Agrippa would have been raised with the Jewish perspective on all of those prophecies as pointing ahead to the future Christ. And so Paul also knew that Jesus himself had fulfilled every single scripture that had ever been uttered about the Messiah. So maybe he figured that if Agrippa had an open mind, he might realize that all of this was solid evidence that Jesus was who he said he was. It's way too convenient. He fulfilled every prophecy, including where he was born. How many babies do that, right? Let alone being born of a virgin. So anyway, Paul is, is appealing to the one thing that most self-respecting Jewish men would have been likely to agree with, which is that the prophets were true and that they spoke for God, okay? Now, Paul, as a Pharisee, he, he certainly believed both before and after his conversion all these, these prophecies refer to the Messiah. So, so that would have been common ground with the king. And, and you might consider uh, what you have in common, spiritually speaking, with the people that you're witnessing to. Okay? Now, my neighbors across the street, told you about them before, um, they're Muslim, they're really nice. We've had several religious conversations. Uh, I've talked with them about how the Isa, who's mentioned in the Quran, is based on the Jesus of the Bible. And we've discussed the similarities and the differences between the true biblical Jesus and the false Jesus found in Islam. And this is a good touchstone for dialogue. Even though, even though their understanding of Jesus is incomplete in some areas and totally false in others, it gives us the opportunity for discussion. It gives us the chance to, to, to discuss Jesus and for me to keep speaking truth into their lives. Have they received the gospel yet? No, but we're working on it. Okay. So, so look for areas of commonality where you can connect with people. Not, not in agreement, per se, okay, but for the sake of promoting further understanding and, and for keeping those lines of communication open. Don't shut people down because they, they disagree with you on certain things or because they don't believe or understand the same way that you do. Remember, God has to open our eyes, okay? I'm going to keep going. Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said... Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become as I am, Ex except for these chains, except for that thing, you know. I wonder if that last part was an afterthought, honestly. Like, like if he was, I wouldn't be surprised if Paul was getting caught up in the moment and, and, and he forgot he was even a captive, and it wasn't until he gestured that he was like, oh, yeah, you know. 
And he's like, uh, oh, oh, yeah, these chains. And then he remembered he was a, a prisoner because Paul, he just he wasn't too concerned about his own situation. It doesn't seem like he let his circumstances dictate how he felt about things. Instead, he is concerned for the souls of his audience. And this church, if you don't hear anything else I say today, listen to this. This, in my opinion, is one of the greatest marks of a true Christian. It's being more concerned about the eternal destiny of others than about your own current state of discomfort. Let that sink in. Especially how it applies to evangelism. One of the evidences of a true Christian is that he or she is more concerned about the eternal destiny of others than his or her own discomfort. That'll preach. And I think that's a summary of Paul's attitude here. His, 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 he has love for the Lord, he has love for his message, and he has love for those who are listening to it, even though they've got him in chains. Wow. Friends, this is a godly man who is desiring that his, his enemies, his captors, would worship the true God and be saved from hell. And shouldn't we be the same way? Shouldn't you and I let our motivation for sharing the gospel be love? It should be. That should be our whole motivation. Think about it, church. I mean, we ought to proclaim Christ not just due to some sense of duty or obligation, although we do have that, and not simply out of a sense of guilt if we don't, although the Spirit may convict us that way, nor should we do it for fear of God's wrath if we don't, because look, we're not under God's wrath. We're not under his judgment. We are considered righteous. So, so that's not it, okay? We should preach Christ out of a love for God and out of a love for our fellow mankind because we want everyone to have eternal life. We don't want anyone to be eternally separated from God in hell. I hope you agree with that. Love ought to push us. Bless you. In one of his letters, the Apostle Paul even told his, his, his uh, protege, this Timothy, he says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's a huge deal, folks. Love is the aim of our charge to proclaim the gospel, love for the Lord and, and love for other people. So basically the great commandment, right? And it's to come from a pure heart and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So in other words, we shouldn't be like living one way and preaching another, right? We should believe what we claim to believe, and then we ought to live it. There, there must be integrity. There must be consistency in our lives. Now, we're not going to do it perfectly because we're imperfect, all right? But, but that striving ought to be there. Paul calls it that agonizing to practice what we preach, to striving toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That ought to be there for the Christian. So if you're struggling with that, pray for it, okay? I mentioned a challenge a few weeks ago, and um, it was to pray every day that God will give you a heart for the lost. I really believe he will if you do, all right? So let's get to our final paragraph and our last point here. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them, and when they had withdrawn, in other words, they, they, they moved away from Paul, they said to one another, this man's done nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. 
Remember we talked about how Caesar was kind of the, the supreme court? They're kind of moving up through the, the circuit courts here. They keep getting to more and more powerful and important people. Uh, well, those of us who we've read the rest of the story, we probably know that God's intent was for Paul to make it to Rome, you know, and to be able to preach the gospel to all of Caesar's household, which he later did. So Paul is supposed to appeal to Caesar rather than being set free, and that's a nod to God's sovereignty if we're paying attention, all right? But the part that really stands out to me is what they said to one another. This man is doing nothing that deserves death or imprisonment. In fact, it was kind of like they were confused as to why he was on trial in the first place. Essentially, they found him innocent in their sight, which leads me to the last point. Keep in mind, the previous points will all help with this last one, okay? If you've been rational and tactful, bold yet humble, if you've presented the gospel faithfully and in a way that's clear and you're motivated by love, you are likely to leave a good impression. And that's what we need to do, friends. Like Paul, we should remember that sharing the gospel and even, even sharing our personal testimony, it isn't ultimately about us, is it? No. It's about who? God. And that was not enough people. It's about who? God. It's about the Lord. It's about bringing glory and honor to the Lord and leading others into his grace in order that they too might believe on Jesus and receive mercy and forgiveness for their sins. That's what we're here for. You know, even if the, the person or the audience remains skeptical after the encounter, if we don't leave them with a bad taste in their mouth, maybe that seed that got planted will still be there for someone else to water later. You know, listen, folks, I get it. The gospel itself can really be an offensive message to people who don't want to accept it. It can. I mean, pe people don't want to hear that, 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 that God doesn't approve of them in sin, do they? People don't want to hear that, that Jesus is the only way, even though Jesus himself said that. Very few people respond well to learning that they don't deserve to go to heaven. And yet the Bible teaches us that no one is good enough to live up to God's standards, which is why we must trust in the sacrifice of Christ to receive forgiveness of our sins. And who likes being told to repent? Most people don't like that. People naturally resist whatever runs counter to their desires, even if it's true. So just know that the good news invites skepticism. But those who are willing to follow through on their evangelism might help some to, to follow through on the weighing of the gospel message. So what I'm saying here, brothers, sisters, don't give up hope. Keep scattering seeds. That's what we're supposed to do. Keep watering seeds other people scatter. You know, because our God is the Lord of the harvest, and the time is going to come in his time. He will reap what, what greatly from these fields what has been faithfully sown. He will. So, uh, I, listen, I hope that for every believer here this morning you're, that you're feeling both encouraged and convicted to follow through on these conversations that God brings your way. And in fact, I'd like to invite you... That, Listen, please do this. Please do this. Pray that God will give you one, just provide one obvious opportunity this week for you to engage in, in a conversation about your faith with somebody. Pray for that. Ask for that. One person. 
and you'll be able to share your story, your testimony, and the good news about Jesus. Will you do that? Will you pray for one person this week that you can share the gospel with? I'm literally seeing about four people nodding your heads. Y'all are not chicken. Let's do this. Let's do this. God gives us the courage. Let's do this. Be filled with joy because he uses us and he's the one who provides the courage and the strength that we need to obey him. And he's in charge of what happens to the seeds. Remember that. Remember that. You don't convert anybody. That's not your job. We're not told go and make converts. We're told go and make what? Disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus taught Okay, so if you're here today, though, and you're, you're hearing and you're believing for the first time this awesome truth that God gave his son to this world to, to die to pay for your sins and, and my sins, and that he rose again, and he's waiting to spend eternity with all those who believe on him. If, if this is your first time, do not hesitate to profess your faith and, and be baptized in obedience to Christ and begin walking with him. You know, it, it, we can do that right now. So, if you're here this morning, you're already a Christian, you've already, be, you know, you've already done all the stuff that, that you know that God is calling you to do, and you want to become a member, hey, we can do that too. You, you just come forward for that. Um, but also, if anyone's here and you just need a body of believers to gather around you and pray over you, we're happy to do that too. That's why we're here, all right? Um, just whatever it is, please don't say no to the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's pray. Father God, I, I just ask in Jesus' name for each person here that... You touch our hearts, God. I, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word to your people through the power of your spirit. And I pray, Father, that no one leaves here the exact same that they came in. I ask God that you will um, just encourage us, Father. And um, I know uh, in just a moment, Everett's going to lead a song and lead us in an invitation. Um, Lord, I just want to ask that you bless it. I pray that if, if anyone um, needs to receive Christ this morning, needs to, to believe and repent and and take those next steps, God, give them the courage to do so, and it's in Christ's name we pray.